The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. And welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate y'all joining us, either if you're joining us live on Wednesday or if you're listening to us later on as well, too. We are the second Wednesday in January, so hopefully some of your New Year's resolutions haven't quite ended yet as well, too. Hopefully they got one more week in them before you toss them into the hay bale as well, too. It is DJ joined, as always, by my co-host, Kelsey. And Kelsey, before we get into all the fun stuff, we do got a quick little programming note for some of you tuning in. We were planning on talking to Cam Redding as well, too, a center for Liberty. We're going to talk about the draft process and things moving forward. But due to unforeseen circumstances, he unfortunately will not be able to join us today. But we do, of course, wish him the best as well. Yeah, absolutely. Look, if Cam's watching or um, any one of his family members or anybody said came in and tuned in just to watch Cam and this interview, uh, unfortunately, uh, if you guys didn't see his his message, he is uh, unfortunately had some recent medical um, complications so he's no longer going to be suing his nfl dreams and he's retiring from the game of football and first of all look um i couldn't imagine what he's going through right now yeah this is heartbreaking to see somebody's dreams get kind of ripped out from under him like this so uh, unfortunately we have to start out on a sad note like this but you know cam if you're listening like we want to you know you have our full support we're, we're here for you man um we wish you the best and hopefully whatever you're going through comes to a a quick and positive rev- resolution soon because Look, this is not what we you hope for for anybody, um, worst enemy or not. And Cam, you know, far from that. And so, uh, great young man, great story. Unfortunately, couldn't come on today because of these. You know, and look, and we totally understand. We're right there with you. Um, maybe one day we'll get him on and, and we can talk about everything with him. Um, that would be uh, very, very, very good. But you know, for right now, just you know, thoughts and prayers go out to him and, and hope that for the best that something comes to a positive resolution quickly. Absolutely as well, too. So those of you who are tuning in for the rest of the show, too, we'd greatly appreciate you joining in with us as well, too. And that's going to lead us. We're just going to kind of get into it from there as well, Kelsey. we got quite a bit to talk about. It's been a busy weekend as well, too, with a lot more coming up as well, too. And you know what? We're gonna, that's going to lead us right into our first segment. That is known as the tip-off. And you might be able to see a little change here to the tip-off. It is now presented by the good friends over at SeatGeek as well, too. And SeatGeek, now a Belly Up Sports sponsor. Use code Belly Up Sports for $20 off in there as well, too. SeatGeek is the live entertainment platform that's rethinking ticketing by caring more about fans, teams, and venues. They're providing a new open entertainment industry where fans have effortless access to experiences and teams, venues, shows, and seamless access to their audience. They do want to make it easy with tickets and attend events through industry-first features like deal score, ticket rating, a whole lot of other things as well, too. The first return policy offered by a major ticket holder, these features and more have made them the highest-rated and most-trusted ticketer as well, too. So use code BELLYUPSPORTS for 20% off your first order as well, too. And you know what? We're, we got a, we got a full show now as well, too. And speaking of a SeatGeek, a lot of people who might maybe – hopefully they use SeatGeek and didn't spend too much money going to that national championship game because it was far from a game, unfortunately. If they got their tickets from SeatGeek, they basically paid to watch a butt-whooping. And we're going to put it politely by calling it a butt-whooping as Georgia routes – the TCU Horned Frogs by a final score of not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but 65 to seven. The most lopsided score in college football playoff history. And honestly, major bowl game, anything that I could think of history as well, too, to the point of the spread could, could have been time. The initial spread was, I think, 13. You could have times that by four and covered it. You could have times that by four. That was it was absolutely insane. So Kelsey, what the heck happened on Monday? What the heck happened? <laughs> we saw the best Georgia team we have seen in two years. Period. 
point blank. That Georgia team came out on fire, hair on fire, however you want to word it. They were absolutely lighting up. Let's let's just start with Stetson Bennett, all right? The mailman came out to deliver. He went 18 of 25 for 340 yards and four touchdowns. To give you an idea, his average when he has over between 15 and 20 passes in a game, his average yardage in the game is 200. So he he passed surpassed that by 300 plus yards with four touchdowns. The man that throws just interceptions for fun this season, like I I jokingly called him the mailman earlier when I watched the Florida game, and and, and meant it more in an offense than anything because he was just literally selling it to the defenders. I mean, just for for fun. Um, granted, they still handily won the game, but like. Yeah, four touchdowns from Stetson Bennett, 340 yards, absolutely lit it up. We're able to pick off Max Dugan twice, just getting body up on those receivers. We talked about these these corners for the uh, the Georgia, how how physical they are, and well, yeah, they got up in the receiver's face, and then you know, and unfortunately, when you're up in the receiver's face, that tends to be you have to fit it in the window, and if you can't fit it in the exact window, it sells just a little bit. Well, guess who's going to be there? Usually a safety to pick it off, which is what happened both times. Von Bullard with two picks. Um, which, you know, look, if we're going to be fair, if any team rolled out against this Georgia team uh, in, in this national championship, I, I they probably get beat, if not worse, the same. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't care what team they throw out there. You're getting beat by 30-plus. You, that Georgia team, I'm sorry, I've not seen a more fired up, more tactically aware, more perfect game played from a team in a situation like that ever. Um, to have have a team that's really, I mean, you look at them, like, like six seniors, seven seniors maybe, after you lost eight guys to the first round last year, seven guys to the first round last year, and you have these eight seniors this year that are just dominating the team, and then you have all these sophomores and juniors just like, yeah, we're not going to make a mistake today. Come on. That doesn't happen. That's just – that's asinine to think that you can get a perfect game from a team, and yet here we are. We watched an absolutely perfect game from this team. I, I I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, Brock Bowers lit everybody up. Lad McConkey, Darnell Washington, if he doesn't get tackled by his shoestring, scores a touchdown on this uh, in this one. Every single tactic that Georgia pulled out in this game worked. Whether it be the QB reads, which by the way, I got to also throw Stetson Bennett scored two touchdowns on the ground as well. Um, Branton Robinson, the backup running back, scoring, getting forty-two yards and two touchdowns. Um, you know, you have. Kendall Milton scoring a touchdown. You have Kenny McIntosh score, you know, getting 50 yards in this game. It was it was picture perfect from top to bottom for Georgia. And, you know, fortunately, TCU's on the receiving end of this, but I'm I'm going to stand on a limb and say that if it was any team, it doesn't matter. Any team, they're going to get beat down here. Because if you – let me just read off TCU stats right here. And it's not going to sound – like, here's the issue. 14 to 22 for Max Dugan, only 152 yards. So he had to dunk, dunk it down a lot, and they weren't able to break tackles. And he has those two picks on deep bombs. That's where those two picks. Oh, I say deep, intermediate to deep. And then on rushing wise, 14 to 59 for their number one running back. But here's the big one Max Dugan, 10 rushes, negative 38 yards. That includes sack yards. So there you go. You want to talk about a team that just got after somebody? Negative 38 yards from a, from a Heisman candidate who was lighting it up with his arm and his feet, get negative 38 yards rushing? Like, mm. Big red flag right there, and that's due to the Georgia front line. That Georgia front line was on fire. I, I mean, take your pick um, I, as to who who you want to compliment the most there. But yeah, Georgia was absolutely on fire, and that's that's to me that's the biggest thing is is all around Georgia was absolutely perfect. Whereas TCU made a couple mistakes, and then next thing you know, 
the barn door got burst in. You're, you're just trying to hold on for dear life at that point in time. And, and unfortunately there's only so much scrambling you can do before it's over. So um, yeah, like, I, you know, it's unfortunate TCU had to go through that beatdown. down. Uh, fans were literally playing chess on their phones at one point in time in that game. Um, but throw anybody against that Georgia team. And <laughs> we're still talking about a 30 plus point beatdown. I'm going to play devil's advocate because while that Georgia team was the best game they've played in two years, as you mentioned as well, too, like they were firing on all cylinders. I think they were able to, because as soon as they walked off the bus and looked at TCU cross, they're like, nah, they, they're not it. They're, they're, we're not worried about them. One of the guys even on the sideline said they don't have Marvin Harrison Jr. When they were talking, one of the DBs said that about one of their, their receivers. I think the entire team, they looked across, they're like, no, you could see just the, I know TCU, they deserve to be in the playoff. They won their playoff game. All of that as well, too. But, there's still levels to it. Like there is, we see it in March Madness that Cinderella story looks really good. Then they play Duke and it's like, ah, shit, 57 to 89 or something like that. I think that's kind of what we saw here is TCU was fun. They deserve to be there, but that those Georgia, there's only like three teams in the country right now that can compete with Georgia, let alone not get beat by them as well too. And I think TCU just, just athlete wise, you look at them too. The the athlete for athlete, the, the player for player, who on who on TCU is going to start on on Georgia? Maybe Quentin Johnson, a receiver, but I don't see any of TCU guys starting over a Georgia player if you merge both teams. So I think it was just a mismatch, and we kind of saw that honestly during the opening coin flip as well too. It's like Jalen Carter is going to eat all five of those guys. Like everyone else is running it free, they can't block him, and the rest of those guys are five stars too. So I think that was one of the mismatches we saw. I'll also say as great as Georgia was. I, I still can't get over it in my head how if it wasn't for a Marvin Harrison Jr. and a Jamison Williams injuries, they might not have zero natties. So while they are fantastic now and they're the new standard, in my opinion, I'm going to hold back on getting them like that historic greatness, if that makes sense, or saying like an all-time team, best team in the last two years easily. But I'm going to reel it back in on saying they're beating the 2001 Hurricanes, the 19 LSUs, the 2014 Ohio State, I believe it was, where Zeke was running with half of his shirt the entire time. I'm going to reel it back a little bit with that, but they're, they're the new standard right now, and I think they showed if you want a pipeline, they've kind of, I'll say they've overtaken Alabama as the premier standard college football team in the country or college football program. I'm going to reel it back just an inch and in saying all-time great as well, too. Best, Still fantastic, still probably beating everybody else in the country right now as well, too, but it's hard not to overlook if Marvin Harrison and Jamison Williams don't go down. We might be having a different conversation too, because we saw what Bryce Young, Jamison Williams did when they were healthy last year. Well, that was a beat, that was a beat down backwards. And then when Jamison Williams goes down in the natty, we saw that too. So Georgia is still that, is that fair? Like we don't say that we don't take away we don't take away you know NFL championships from teams because they faced. It. I'm saying I'm not. Putting we didn't take away we, we we didn't take away anything from Tom Brady because he faced injury ridden teams on his way to play out on his way to Super Bowls. We kind of did. It's just we after he did because he's he's unanimously the goat right now. Like there's no taking that away from him. That's seven times later. Yeah, but we we haven't. You still you take one away. You take two away because he faced you know three different tra- three different trips to the Super Bowl. He faced injury ridden teams. Like you can't. I I feel like at the, at the end of the day you can't just be like oh well due to injuries you know they're not the greatest team. You you only can beat what you what's in front of you at the end of the day. Yeah, they did lose when Jamison Williams was there. That's what I'm saying. It's hard to it's hard to put but they, them up. But, the, but they won the game. Like here's the After thing. At, at the at the end of the day, you only can play what's on the field until the final whistle. 
and that's fine. They played it and they won it. No one's taking it away from them. I'm saying if we're ranking them, which is based on an objectivity perspective, an opinion perspective, I'm not going to rank them that high because of those situations. They're still no one's taking that from them. I see. Like, okay, are they better than the than the LSU team from Joe Burrow? No, but are they are they better than the 2014 or 2010 Auburn team? Yeah. By your logic of taking away by by your logic of taking away injuries, no. By that it's just because of injuries. I'm saying because we when I look at those injuries, I think they would have lost those games. So when I rank them against, but we can't. We don't play the game on paper. I didn't say we did. I'm saying in my rankings personally, that's what I. That's fair. I just I think it's. I don't think it's fair to, to to be able to have that kind of conversation with the injuries because let's say now if it was an illegal hit that caused the injuries, that's a different story. But neither hit, neither case is an illegal hit. Neither case is a penalty. Neither case was anything egregious other than a football play. Nobody led with the crown of the helmet under the chin. Nobody caused Jameson Williams's knee to, to become disjointed and, you know, tear everything, which God forbid, those are awful injuries, but none of that was caused from an illegal hit. That changes it in my mind. If it was an illegal hit, that's a completely different story. But as far as it's, as far as the rules of the game are concerned, no illegal hit, no egregious penalty, no none of that caused the injury to Marvin Harrison Jr. or Jamison Williams. So that like I, I feel like at the end of the day to have that to be like, no, you get you lose points because these guys got injured. Like that's just that's that's not fair. That's not fair to the kids on the field. That's not fair to the team that just got, just went out there and and did what they had to do to win. So where do you rank them then is what my question would be then. Like compared to some of those other great teams we've seen recently, I'm just curious where you place them. Well, I, I mean, hands down, top two top two teams up until this point in single season college football teams have been, statistically speaking, the Joe Burrow-led T- LSU Tigers, the 2010 Auburn Tigers, and then you had 01 Hurricanes, and then maybe you could say Florida State at one point in time. And they're, they're definitely ahead of the Ohio State Zeeks. Uh, that team barely snuck. You talk about a team that snuck in. They snuck in. They had one loss as well. They barely got into the playoffs. So, I mean, that's that's that they're better than that team. Um, you know, you're you, to me, I'm I, I put them right behind the LSU Tigers and Joe Burrow. I think they're a better team all around than that 2010 Auburn team. I think they're better all around than the 01 Canes. Um, I, I just think. I, I don't know. I, I think what I saw offensively was more impressive than what I saw from the Canes in 01. Because that Canes team in 01 was mostly dominated defensively. Let's be fair. That team and was a defensive juggernaut. Yeah, I mean, running back, absolutely. But you also didn't have a tight end like Brock Bowers on that team. You also Jeremy didn't Shockey have... Pretty, Jeremy Shockey was pretty nice in his day. He was all right. He was mm-hmm. all right. He, he was, honestly, Jeremy Shockey's a much better pro tight end than he was a college tight end. Still I think we can both agree on that. But I think we can both agree that out of those... Whereas Brock Bowers is hands down the better tight end of the two in college. Statistically speaking, he's the better tight end of the two. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, not, not not been a bad three years for him. So, uh, you know, you, you look at that, you look at that offensively. I think Georgia has the edge offensively. And to be fair, that defense might be better than last year's Georgia defense with, yeah, despite losing seven, seven starters to the draft. I mean, I think that they're still better than what they put on, on the field top to bottom than what was there last year. And I mean that because, like, the younger guys got better, the younger guys got more experience, the younger guys got more skilled. And you saw that. I mean, like, you don't beat down, you don't beat Michigan the way you do, and you don't beat Alabama, you don't beat TCU the way you just did, and it not means something. I mean, that's 
it's unheard of what they just did. Uh, you don't put 65 on a team in a national championship ever, whether it's, you know, a team that deserves to be there or a team that not, that's not, not the argument The TCU did what they needed to do to get there. And Georgia is like, all right, well, I'm going to beat the team in front of me and I'm going to prove a point. And, and that's the, that's the first time we've ever seen the team prove a point in a national championship to, really since USC, Oklahoma. So, I mean, like at the end of the day, I don't think we've had a team in the national championship ever be like, you know what? I'm going to prove that I'm the best team out there this year. I'm going to prove that I'm the best team out there in the last two years. I'm going to prove I'm the best team out there, maybe historically. Um, but that's that's an argument for other people to have. Personally, I do think they're top three in, in, uh, all time. I'm not going to take anything away from them because of a Marvin Harrison or a James and Williams situation. That's just not fair to the team that's on the field. Um, but, you know, if, if I'm going to rank them, I'm going to put them ahead of Auburn. I'm going to put them behind LSU. That's I'm going to put it. I'm going to put them behind LSU. I'm still going to put the 01 Hurricanes on there. I'm going to put them in a conversation between three to five. Between, I'm still looking at 2018, I believe it was Clemson. It was when Trevor Lawrence basically announced himself to the scene because you still had healthy Justin Ross, and that squad put up 44 on a prime Nick Saban Alabama. I'm also going to put in that 20, I'm putting that Auburn team. I think that one's close, but I think that Auburn defense was a very underrated as well, too. And I'm also going to include. I know Ohio State snuck in there, but what they did in the playoffs was pretty ridiculous, especially hanging 50 on Alabama in that national championship game as well. I'm going to put them all in that same category as well. Georgia doing it back-to-back gives them a very good edge in that as well, too. But I'm going to put them in that category between three and five. Is it fair to put put that Ohio State team in there with one loss? Yeah, we're going by national champion. Technically, but, it's still, I mean, but, but, like, but you still lost a game to a team in the regular season where Georgia didn't hasn't lost a game in two years. They did lose last year to Alabama last year. Oh, sorry. You're right. You're right. My bad, my bad. They haven't lost a game in a year and, and, and a game then in that case, like, I, I don't know. And it's, it's, it's tough. It's that's tough for me for, to be like an undefeated team versus a one loss team in a, in, in a ranking for all time best. Like, obviously it's, it's very clear on your record blemishing there that like a one loss team should be worse than the, the, the undefeated team. Yeah. And then Ohio state played teams that were undefeated that year and smoked them too. I mean, yeah, but still, one loss is one loss. I, I don't know, man. I, I have a hard time with that. Like, I have a hard time putting a one-loss team up there above 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 an undefeated team. Because you know, all, again, at the end of the day, all you can do is just like ranking them for the for the for the playoffs. All you can do is is beat the team on the front in front of you. And they did do that. They beat every. They beat them in front of them too. But I'm looking at quality wins in a ranking system. That's just my preference as far as if we're going to rank them because it's not necessarily the standings. It's more of a power ranking where standings don't always take take part in that as well. We're mostly we're ranking champions. So one loss here, that's not great, but you still won the championship. That's fair. Every I mean, every situation's a little bit different too. And we're looking at Georgia's schedule next year too. You can only play who you put in front of you, but sometimes who they put in oh, front well, of you. Oh well then we can go, we can go into that conversation as well too. But we, we can go into Alabama's conversation scheduling Mercer at certain points as well too. But that's yeah look next year's next year's Georgia schedule. Um let's just say if they don't go back to the playoffs next year, that's not a good team. If they don't go undefeated next year, that is not a yeah. good team, honestly. Like that, so that's yeah. But two lo- two chances to lose next year, depending on which Auburn team, depending on which Tennessee team shows up. Unless somebody else is going to, unless maybe Florida South Carolina, somebody, like unless Spencer Rattler becomes the prodigy he was always meant to be. Like we that so that's kind of where I rank them. They're between three and five as well. To yeah, the beneficiary being back to back, but at the same time too, when I put Stetson Bennett up against some of those other teams, I have some questions as well too. But either way, well, okay, so- that's that's fair. At, at quarterback, one hundred percent, I think it's fair to say at every single ranking of any all-time team, the the team with the worst quarterback might be Georgia in this situation. 
like let's say Stetson Ben having to go against Ed Reed playing center field, Sean Taylor in the box as well to all of those guys. Like if you could hypothetically match him up, like that's, I don't feel good about him in that situation. He decides to scramble and Sean Taylor's coming downhill. You saw what he did to Brian Mormon, who's bigger than Stetson Bennett, even though he's a punter and was a little more athletic. So, yeah, I mean, look, it, don't get me wrong. Like I, I, I totally agree that Stetson Bennett might is the crux to everything Georgia. Like, I don't know how he did it. Like again, Melman was selling passes for the life of him all season long until this one game. Um, but, you know, at the same time, like. I'll give him the last five quarters. Fourth quarter against Ohio State. Yeah, that's fair. I'll give him five quarters. But, like, at the, end of, at the end of the day, like, two-time national championship winning quarterback. I, I don't know how it happens. How a quarterback like him gets two national championships. Let me just be very honest and say that. I don't know how that happens. It's like the Rex, Gro- Rex Grossman scenario. How does Rex Grossman be as great as he is considered in college? I don't get it. Um, but, you know, it's it's like at the end of the day, I really think that's the one beneficiary I think he has and this team has over a lot of teams and why I rank them so high really comes down to that coaching staff and that scheme that team has. Because if we break it down, like, yeah, don't get me wrong, athletes all over the place, Owen, E. Keynes, you know, all these other teams you mentioned, athletes galore. There's athletes galore on Georgia, but they're well – executed on on that offensive game plan in the fact that it's just it is the way to make Stetson Bennett good they had to fool you with the optics and they did that somehow for two straight seasons and I don't and 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 to me that's what gives them that edge is because if I put any other quarterback there this team is hands down I think easily 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 number two but like like easily number two, George Pickens was would would have been a first overall court receiver last year, like top ten last year. Um, you know that's that's if you put a different quarterback in, but like to make Stetson Bennett good, yeah, I, I think that's what gives him the edge. Why I think so much highly of this this Georgia team and what they did this year is because you had to make Stetson Bennett look good through the scheme and through through how you built that, and that's that's not an easy task to do for a guy who's kind of got a noodle as an arm. That's a, that's a nice way of putting it as well, too. But for the positive side of every story, there is a negative side. And unfortunately, the downside was for TCU, they were on the recipient of that butt whooping. And I'm just going to keep mine short and sweet. I really hope this doesn't ruin any chances for any non-SEC school slash Ohio State to ever get into the playoff again because nobody wanted to watch that. We turned we basically fell asleep or turned it off after the first quarter. Like It was, it was bad. So from this point, A, it's great run by TCU, but you see what happens when a private school ends up meeting a major division one powerhouse pipeline. And two, I think they got expanding the playoffs will help this a little bit because a great run like that isn't as likely to, it's not as likely to happen in the championship game where the, where the wheels come off. So I look forward to it, but what are your thoughts as well too? Do you think this, are you worried that TCU might have just ruined it for everybody? God, if anybody says that and is serious, I want to slap you in the face. Like hands down, I want to get just like slap you across the face for, for somebody saying that TCU ruined this for anybody, not you, but if they actually say that, like that is so egregious. It's so dumb. It's like saying when Georgia got Georgia beat Alabama, like, Oh, Alabama ruined it forever. No, they didn't. Like when, when Oklahoma lost to USC, like Oklahoma ruined it for, no, they didn't. Like, this is look at the end of the day, you can only beat the teams that are in front of you. Nobody can, nobody was prepared for Georgia to come out firing on all cylinders. Everybody had that same, same question. What Stetson Bennett are you going to see? The Stetson Bennett we turned out to see was the first time we've seen this Stetson Bennett, I think, in his entire career. I don't think we've ever seen this Stetson Bennett, like, ever perform 
except for maybe back in high school or maybe in community college when he had to drop down to community. He had, a he, had, he had a good Juco run. Like, I, the, I, I think to say that TCU ruined it for anybody, let's not forget, they're a Power 5 team. So you just told me that the entire thing that you built a Power 5 ranking system around – now you're telling me one of those divisions in the Power Five is trash? Well, I mean, yeah, well, but like... Hold on now. We, we, it's a Power Five ranking, but it's a Power One with a couple miscellaneous big... Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. But like, that's but that's what people would be telling me if there's like, oh, TCU ruined it. Like, so you tell me now the Big 12 is not worthy. You're telling me the Pac-10 is not... The Pac-12 is not worthy. You're going to tell me what's next. The Big 10 is not worthy. You're going to tell me the ACC is not worthy. Like, what, where's where's the line? And I'm a, don't get me wrong. I'm an Auburn fan. I believe that this the last couple of years that the SEC has been like the, the, the oh yeah, fair enough. The the mm-hmm. last last few seasons have been uh, you know the SEC is the best team, the uh, best just conference, best most powerful conference out there, and I I'll stand by that. Like they obviously have been for a few, lot, for quite a few years, but things happen in the playoffs. Who would you have thrown like hypothetically speaking? We throw Tennessee in there instead of TCU. Tennessee gets whacked in the first round. Just smacked in the first round by a Michigan team, and then we see a Michigan beatdown in the in the the national championship, just like we just saw. We saw we see probably a forty point loss for Michigan, and then we're going to be asking the question: Well, is the Big Tw- is the Big Ten worthy of being any? Like it's it's a slippery slope when you start talking about teams being you know not deserving to be there. Obviously, look, this is this is the second straight year we've had a team not from the SEC and not from the ACC and not from the Big Twelve in a national championship game. Along with an SEC team, that's true at Alabama. Oh, sorry, you know, no, sorry, my bad. Cincinnati, yeah, in the playoffs, in the playoffs. Okay. As far as like making a run in the playoffs, I worded that wrong. Uh, but making this, it to the dance, but then getting yeah, making it to the dance. Cool. But look, TCU won up Cincinnati last year, right? They went against a Michigan team and they beat Michigan, and much to much to uh, you know Andrew's dismay here, um, you, you know they lost the game. At the end of the day, you lost. And that's all there is to it. Um, and TCU, unfortunately, got the wrath of Georgia. Like that's just all there is to it. Like how, how many t- how many times did you see something in the uh, leading up to this game talking about Bama? If Bama could face Georgia, it'd be a it'll be a completely better game. Like even before the game was played, we saw all this stuff going around. And I'm just like, Georgia heard it all. Kirby Smart heard it all. And Kirby Smart let his team know beforehand, like, hey, we're gonna go prove a point. And they did. Any team. I stand by this. Any team that's out there when I was facing Georgia would have been absolutely ramrodded in this game, and I'm going to stand by that. And so did TCU ruin it for anybody? No. It's egregious. I can't wait for this extended playoff because you know what's going to happen? We're going to get another one of these teams to get a, get a run in. You know what? Maybe we'll get UCLA when they join the Big, t- uh, the Big, 12, uh, the Big Ten. Maybe UCLA will be the team that comes from an eight seed, gets to the national title, and takes it to overtime. Maybe that's the next step we'll see. You know, overtime for a team that's maybe not, shouldn't be there. But they take them to an overtime. And then we're going to get a team that wins it. And then we're going to get a team that doesn't deserve to be there that go blow out the number one seed. That's what's that's the progression we're on our way to see. Because in the last three years, we've seen a progression already. So, for me, I can't wait for the extended playoffs because this just makes TCU getting to the, the championship makes me more excited for that. You know, because that's just like it shows you that it's not just the Big 12. It's not just the SEC. It's not just the Big 10. It's not just the ACC. We're going to actually see a whole lot of teams make a run at this one. And I'm so I'm so excited for the extended playoffs. I just look forward to hopefully having a lot fewer 13 point spreads as well, too, once they expand as well, too. Obviously, you're going to have the one versus eight and the two versus seven or something like that. But I'm looking forward to more of those like 
sit three point spreads in the middle as well too. It's some of those ones too where when everybody's playing, just if someone runs the table and wins four playoff games and then gets ramrod in the natty, it's like, well, shoot, TCU literally smacked rank teams five, six, and seven to get there. Like that's just that's just the wrath of Georgia. Where this one, it's like you dodge Michigan by Jim Harbaugh and Jim Harbaugh Harbaughing it. You, I, I see both sides of it, but I agree with you as well too. I can't wait for that extended playoff because. If you're going to get to the national championship, get ram- ramrodded, you're going to have to ramrod a whole lot of these teams on yourself by yourself to get there as well, too. And at the same time, we saw Georgia in that semifinal look a little vulnerable against Ohio State. We'll get to see if they are vulnerable again or if they get that full wrath and carry it the way through as well, too. So we get to see more of that full wrath, which I'm really curious to see as well, too. So I'm just, I, honestly, that Georgia team scares me. <laughs> that Georgia team this year, that Georgia team actually scared me. Like, because you didn't know. I mean, outside of Stetson Bennett, you didn't know what they were going to get. Like, you, you knew you were going to get beat, but how bad were you? Like, how physical were they going to be in your face? Like, it's the first time I think a team has, has actually been like, all right, I'm a little bit worried. I think as soon as TCU stepped on that field, too, after like that first like that first run play, just the first time they butted heads with them or even the opening kickoff, they're like, oh, this is going to suck. And I think they were sh- almost like Seattle and Denver, that Super Bowl where like that Cam Chancellor hit and you just knew after that, this is done. It's a wrap after he separated Demarius Thomas's shoulder. Everybody on that Denver team knew this is over. And I think that kind of happened on this one. Just honestly, I thought it started at the coin toss when they looked at Jalen Carter like, oh, nah, that guy's playing in the I- NFL. We're, we're just living our best life right now. No, thanks. You know, they always say you always everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Um, TCU got punched in the mouth quickly. Yeah, they got punched in the mouth quickly, and they were like, and instead of like getting up and being like, okay, I can hang with this, they got up and like, deer in headlights. Like, yeah, like they they ran over to study Dykes. Like, can we, can we, can we figure out something else that I don't get hit, please? This was the movie Friday Night Lights where they ran into Dallas Carter, but without it being a movie and a Cinderella story, basically. You take take away the Cinderella story and that extra motivation. That's what this kind of – Yeah, you, you take away the comeback of, of <laughs> you got a pretty close scenario to Dallas Carter there. Exactly. So that'll do it for the tip-off as well, too, and that's going to take us now into Kelsey's second favorite part of every show. That is the main event. The main event brought to you, of course, by our friends over at Manscaped. Use code Sports. Get yourself 20% off. Christmas season may be gone as well, but you can still get yourself or someone in your life something good. Nose hair trimmer, deodorant, shampoo, conditioner, body wash, whatever you need. The premier brand in men's grooming as well, too. So go ahead and head over to manscaped.com. Code Hilo Sports. Get yourself 20% off as well, too. I know Kelsey's been enjoying himself a little bit of the nose hair trimmer as well, too. So you got to keep yourself looking as clean as you can possibly for whether it's an interview, some time out with the time out the lady, or if you just want to go out in public in general, you want to be looking your best. So definitely stop in at manscaped.com and we talk college football, but now I got to head to the NFL and it's some people's favorite time of the year and some people's least favorite time. It's black Monday just arrived as well too. And weirdly enough, one of the least eventful black Mondays in recent memory, because all the NFL coaches got fired in the season or two minutes after they went for two and won the game on the last play of the last play of the year. So Looking at some of the openings right now, we saw Cliff Kingsbury was really the only one fired on Black Monday as well, too. Uh, Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith, I, I say he was fired the day before because technically they relieved him on Sunday as soon as he won that game. Like, get out of here, Lovey. You can't be taking away the number one pick for us. But that's either right. Way. That's right. It just it was it was reported only on Monday. It didn't get reported until Monday. What? Oh, they had they had reports that he, on Sunday that he was getting fired too. Oh, I'm okay. The one I have is uh, is from Monday. Never mind. Either way, so. Black of Friday adjacent, Black Monday adjacent. Either way, point is we had the Cardinals opening with a Cliff Kingsbury fired. Lovey Smith getting fired for winning in Houston. And obviously Panthers, Colts, and Carolina all releasing their coaches. 
in during the season as well, too. So we got five vacancies right now. And you know what, Kelsey? Strap on your Cupid wings and uh, go grab yourself a bow and arrow and maybe a little bit, maybe a heart logo or something, because we're going to play matchmaker for these teams as well, too. We're going we're gonna to swipe right on a few of these teams and find the ideal candidate for each of these eight openings. And Kelsey, I'll let you go and Cupid up first. We're going to start right at the top. The Arizona Cardinals. You could pick any coach available for them. Not a head coach that currently is employed. We're going head coaches in college or coordinators in the NFL. We're not going to just give them Bill Belichick or something ridiculous like that. But any candidate on the market, who are you sending to Arizona, and what is your thinking for that? So for the Cardinals, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, we were just talking about Michigan. Uh, I look at I look at Harbaugh. Um, I look at Harbaugh and, and the way he coaches. I think he wants to get away from the cold for a moment. I do think he wants to to end up possibly in Arizona. Um, truthfully, Arizona might be the kindest landing spot for any coach right now because you have a pretty good quarterback. You just have to figure out how way to to make him not play Call of Duty so much. And I think Harbaugh is, has a good grasp of how to deal with college students um, because and, oh, I say, and he gets some leeway because he's going to be injured next year. So you automatically get a one season for free, basically. Yeah, and you can do whatever you want to in the draft this year um, for your team. Uh, as, as long as you know, the biggest thing that you have to worry about if you're any coach coming into the Cardinals is what are they going to do with DeAndre? Um, because if they trade DeAndre, that changes a lot of things for you because you no longer have the guy that'll just go up and get it for you. Um, so for me, I'm going to say I'm going to say Harbaugh uh, gets this job here in Arizona. I, I know that's kind of a long shot. I know he's been more projected to go to you know Indianapolis or anywhere that any of the other teams that he's 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 coached for, but. For me, I personally do think that Harbaugh has an opportunity here uh, to end up as an Arizona Cardinals head coach. That is very interesting. One that has not been rumored a lot as well, too, but that could be a fun fit. Give him a year to kind of implement his thing. We saw what he did with Kaepernick's and Alex Smith of the world as well, too. We saw, hell, we saw him take J.J. McCarthy to a playoff game in college, so that could be something as well, too. I'm going to go to the Cardinals, and I'm going to go a little more unorthodox here as well, too. I'm going to go with an OG candidate that has not got a chance yet. I'm going to pluck Eric Bieniemy from Kansas City on this one as well, too. He's been, he's basically been the always a bridesmaid, never a bride the last few years as well, too. There's for whatever reason you think it may be as well, too. I think this could be finally his chance to get it as well. You got a very versatile quarterback with Kyler when he gets back. If you're Bieniemy, you get that leeway because Kyler's going to miss, what would you say, probably the first six games at minimum next year coming off a torn ACL not even a month ago. You got Hollywood Brown. You got some good defensive pieces in Isaiah Simmons, Zayvon Collins, et cetera. You are trading DeAndre Hopkins. I'm going to say it now. They are trading him. He's not sticking or He's not going to want to stick around through this. He doesn't want David Blow throwing him passes. You got a lot of rebuilding, and you got the third pick in the draft with a lot of needs and a, with a bunch of quarterback needy teams. Like, they're in position. Everyone talks about the Bears trading back. Maybe the Cardinals want to trade back, too. Maybe the Eagles want to go chase chase Will Anderson or something. They could take those two ones they have this year, and then they could stockpile there. So I'm going to go with Eric Bieniemy getting a chance to kind of build the team in a way he wants, and he's used to working with a Patrick Mahomes athletic, versatile quarterback. Kyler Murray's pretty versatile when he gets healthy and is not playing Call of Duty. I think there's a lot of options there as well, too. So I would say Eric Bieniemy gets his chance, and we kind of know how things are. I'm looking at the Suns, how things are a little bit shaky around there in ownership management off the court-wise. Maybe the Cardinals do something as far as bringing in the minority candidate as well to a well-deserving one who feels like they've been shafted the last few years. So I think that could do some PR good as well as on the field. Good. If that makes sense, it feels like it checks two boxes when you're, if, if it's well too. And I'm curious to see if he's going to bring the, sh that spin around the rosy huddle with Kyler Murray lining up at receiver or something that ends up doing an end around backwards pass or something goofy. So 
Let's try yeah, Eric Bieniemy in the, down in the desert. You know, the, there's one name that I, I, I got to say that surprised me when I saw that they requested an uh, interview with him, and that's Steve Wilkes. I, I was shocked that they requested an interview with a guy they just literally shafted. I, I hope he told them to shove it. It was so quick. Yeah. Oh, no, they com- he completed. He already completed the interview request. He has actually already interviewed for the job. So, yeah, he has interviewed. He has completed the request for the job, and I'm shocked, to say the least. So that was one of the names that's been thrown around for Arizona, um, for sure. He better get that contract fully guaranteed as well, too. He's like, you know, I'm not letting you guys pull this again. I want this fully guaranteed after what you did as well, too. So, you know, speaking of Steve Wilkes, we're going to go to the Panthers next as well, too. And the Panthers we talked about, too, fired the coach midseason. Still, Steve Wilkes, Wilkes took over as the interim coach and finished with a winning record as well, too, down the stretch. Right now, Carolina's requested a, quite a few different interviews, including Frank Reich as well, too, former Colts coach, as well as Steve, as well as Wilkes. So, Kelsey, I'll let you lead the way. Who should lead the keep pounding charge? Man, uh, how wild would it be to say that somebody like Kellen Moore would take the reins or, you know, in, in Carolina? Because that's, I feel like maybe that's the route they're going. Uh, but, you know, one, one, one funny thing that I, I, I just have to like go back to is there's a guy just sitting out there, former winning coach for a few teams, um, but, you know, maybe struggled so much in, in, as the Lions coach, but that's Jim Caldwell. Um, a guy who knows how to take a team that maybe isn't the best offensively, but that defense is just kind of grinded out a young defense too, and knows how to work with them. And I think that's, that this might be the landing spot for Jim Caldwell. I, I really do think this is an opportunity for him here. I do think, and we talk about, you know, especially the, the stigma for blackhead coaches in the NFL still, you know, with, especially with the firing of Lovey Smith, don't be surprised if Carolina and especially considering what happened in the last three years in that organization, as far as revamping their, their, their appearance and, you know, getting rid of some some very tying things back to a former uh, racist founder, and and so you know they turning around that organization. And Jim Caldwell is a very good coach. Let's not get it. Let's not twist it. He is a very good coach, and and you need something like that, especially you got a young quarterback coming in. Sam Darnold maybe still still playing around for a year. Um, right. Young running backs. Yeah. yeah. So like you know you look at that team, and I, I do think that's for me. I'm gonna go Jim Caldwell. I like that one. I think Jim Caldwell should be a head coach. He kind of got the shaft getting fired after ten after a 10-win season. He's been to a Super Bowl. Granted, a Peyton Manning-led Super Bowl, but still a Super Bowl nonetheless. And Andrew agrees with me. The Lions should not have fired him in the first place, which is the agreements there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the boring route on this one. I'll have more fun with the other ones, but I'm going to take the boring route. I think, I think it's got to be Steve Wilkes in this one. We saw what happened last year when the Raiders had an interim coach with a winning record. They replaced him, and they went to a dumpster fire, and now they're a mess. And you And you can't do anything about it. So if I'm the Panthers, don't let history repeat itself on your watch. The co- the players, including your set, your top seven favorite player in the NFL, Derek Brown, has even said we want Wilkes back next year. So I'm going to say Panthers, just don't overthink it. I you do interview everyone, do your due diligence, see if anyone blows you away. But unless somebody basically says shows you that they are the next Bill Belichick, I think you give Wilkes that full year, see what he can do there. You still have some you have some holes. You got some young talent though. So I'm going to say give Wilkes the chance there and give him a chance to show what he didn't get to show in Arizona, basically, after what Arizona did. Which is everything. (laughs) Exactly. He had had absolutely no chance there whatsoever. So speaking of no chance whatsoever, I think it's only fair that we go to Houston next as well, too. Back-to-back years, one-and-done coaches. David Coley a couple years ago, Lovey Smith this last year. Both times they finished, I think it was 3-14 or 3-13-1. Like, basically, it's been a rough couple of years. They had to go through all the trades that Bill O'Brien made, taking all their draft picks, plus the Deshaun Watson situation. 
But now you know what? They got themselves a they got themselves a couple of first round picks for the next couple of years. Who do you think should take over the helm in Houston? Man, Houston is a wild one for me. I'll refer um, that. Who do you think should be burdened with this, but at the same time get a fun opportunity? You know who I, I really like as an opportunity, and I really hope he gets an opportunity here. Um, D'Amico Ryans. And, and this would be obviously a return to where he played. So this is an opportunity there that D'Amico could. I, I don't know. It might be a really good fit there um, to fill it. I I worry about giving a first time head coach Houston though because it like very quickly can go wrong. And and I'd say this. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you two options here, but I'm gonna say my my favorite option is D'Amico Ryan's. Very clearly, let me state that. But I think the more possible one and one that might be safer would be Sean Payton. Similar to what he did with the Saints, now he's going to do for the Texans. But I'm going to say D'Amico Ryan's overall, but I just want to throw Sean Payton out there as a possibility. I do like D'Amico Ryan's there as well, too. And it would we've all heard about the negative stigma with Houston right now is one and dunning minority coaches as well, too. Getting a young, up-and-coming superstar coordinator, a head coaching job there, would, would I think, fit that. He knows that he played there. He was an all-star there. He was a multiple-time pro bowler. So I agree with you on that one. I'm going to go with a different one just to mix things up so we don't say the exact same names, though. I'm going to reach a little bit farther into the bag of tricks as well, too, and I'm actually going to go with your boy Kellen Moore. I'm going to say bring in, bring in the offense, the young offensive mind, give him a chance to kind of, for lack of a better term, build it in his image. You have the number two pick in the draft. You're still going to get a quarterback. You have some talent. You have multiple picks as well, too. You saw what... Kellen Moore was able to do with Dak Prescott during that, basically up until this this last year, really, honestly. But we saw he's managed to turn Dak Prescott into a – he looks like a multiple-time All-Pro when you look at his stats, basically. So I'm going to say – by the way, thank you very much for those kind words, casual sportsmen. I'm going to go with Kellen Moore, but I agree with you, D'Amico Ryan should be first on their list. But as a backup plan, I like Kellen Moore. Let the offensive young mastermind, quote-unquote, pick – you have Damian Pierce, too. You have O.J. Howard. You got some pieces. Let him pick. Let him pick his quarterback and build around him. And right. gotta, yeah, I was like, you just and really, I mean, maybe you don't get rid of Davis Mills. Maybe you need to fill. Maybe you wait. Maybe you can hold Davis Mills for another year, and and wait on that next quarterback the year after potentially, and build. I mean, do what you want to with this number two pick and trade back, get multiple picks, however you want to do it. Slap Jalen Carter right in the middle of that defense or Will Anderson on the edge as well, too. And if you suck next year, you got Caleb Williams and Drake May and a whole lot of options as well. If Davis Mills hits and you have them in the Browns picks. You go grab Marvin Harrison, maybe. There's You got some options here, Houston. I personally think they should probably really look long and hard at those quarterback rooms as well, too. But you got plenty of options if you're a Houston. I think bringing a young coach and giving him a leash, like a long leash to work with, is definitely beneficial as well. Next, we're going to go to... We're going to we're going to start riding this one. Broncos country, let's ride. They have they were the first ones, and they cast a very wide net as far as head coaching interviews go. You got Russell Wilson. Whether you like it or not, you're stuck with Russell Wilson. You got a very talented defense. All NFLPA's All Pro corner Patrick Sertan, Justin Simmons, who should have been on that list, but I digress, and a whole lot of other talented players. Kelsey, who do you, who you? Uh, I'm going to say gifting the Broncos, but at the same time, <laughs> who who do you think can tame the Russell Wilson? issue that's been going on there slash get him back on track and maybe just get everything back where we thought it would be so it's it's very obvious that all of denver and every denver fan wants jim harbaugh but i already gave jim harbaugh to the cardinals so he's out he's gone throw him away forget about it you're not getting khakis and cleats in denver he's not going to become the second highest paid walmart employee in the world sorry not happening uh, who you are going to get though or who i have them getting who i think they're going to land with and i think is somebody that 
will work very well with somebody like Russell Wilson, who could literally match his brain and be like, I am smarter than you, Russell. You have to listen to my play calling. Let's ride. I do think that's going to be Sean Payton. This is where I think Sean Payton really has the best opportunity to land. I don't think Sean Payton wants to go to a team that's going to play against the Saints regularly. And number one team on that list that doesn't play the Saints regularly is the Denver Broncos. They do not play the AFC West next year, so I do believe they are fine with that. They don't have to play them. Um, I mean, I might be wrong on that, but I don't. I remember looking at the schedule, and I don't remember seeing the Saints on the Broncos schedule there. So I'm going to go Sean Payton here in Denver. Um just because, look, they, they want somebody big. They want somebody high profile. Denver thinks they deserve that. And there's no bigger, higher profile right now on the market than Sean Payton as far as what you could possibly sneak away. And, you know, everybody always says something good about the altitude in Denver as far as being good for your health. So, Sean Payton, you had to walk away from health woes. Maybe come back in a little healthier place. And uh, let's not forget what else is legal in Colorado. So, hmm. you don't get drug tested as a coach. That's true. And, you know, he might need it depending on which Russell Wilson you get. What I am curious is, the Saints still have Sean Payton's right, so you will have to basically trade to get him. And I'm wondering, if you're the Saints, do you trade a, thir- a three years away first-round pick? Like, do you have anything left? I mean, I wonder what you'd trade to get him. But I think Sean Payton is one of those guys that can – you could put him in that room and feel comfortable, I guess, if that makes sense to you. I don't think you want to put a rookie head coach in there. I wanted to, I want to put Jim Harbaugh here, but I don't honestly think he's leaving Michigan this year. I, so I'm going to leave Harbaugh out of this one I, unless that investigation turns into something and he Pete Carroll's it. But I'm going to ignore that for now. So I'm going to leave Jim Harbaugh <laughs> out of these. I'm going to go with Frank Reich here. A former head coaching experience, a quarterback, I don't want to say whisper or guru, but a very quarterback-friendly coach as well, too. He loves the mobile quarterbacks because he loves to design the RPOs off of it. We saw what he did with Luck and Jacoby. We saw what he did with Carson Wentz as well, too. Like You saw how he was able to build a very – unique run game built off of the quarterback's legs to where it takes one guy out of basically it takes one defensive lineman out of the run fits. And I think he can have a lot of fun doing that with Russell, not getting Russell hit. It'll be a lot closer to the Andrew Luck one where he's like, Andrew, if you get tackled or you try and run somebody over, I'm going to body slam you. You stop trying to run people over. So I think yeah. it'll be similar to that. Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, we saw come alive down the back half of the last year as well. So I think he's found last game of the year. Just absolutely lit it up. Yeah. The team on his back. And there are some pieces there. Like they have good talent. I think, Someone like Frank White can really put it all together. And him, of underrated part is Russell's a very outspoken with his religion and his faith. So is Frank Reich as well, too. So yeah, I think that can, that could give them a bit of a bonding thing there as well, too. And Frank Reich's not a pushy personality, so I don't think he'll alienate, quote, Russ. But he has enough cachet and respect where he will – everyone will listen to him, but they won't, like, roll their eyes at him, if that makes sense as well, too. He has that nice in-between mix where he doesn't have to alienate anybody, but they will respect him. And – He's played quarterback and he's led a lot of comebacks as well. To I mean, he was a little. Yeah, he has the statistics to back him up. Exactly. He's he's got some game when you give him the, when you give him the quarterbacks he wants and everyone's available. So I underratedly like Frank Reich here and I do like Sean Payton if they can get him as well. Too. My only concern is what do you trade to get him? You already gave everything to Seattle. So like if they can get that out though, I think we're in agreement. Someone with former head coaching experience there. And last, I, I think I think the biggest thing for me, I think the biggest thing you have to be able to match with with Russell. I think that's the one thing that they didn't have this year. Like, you kind of let Russell run run run, run roughshod through that through that organization. And I think unless you have a coach, and you know, there's a sneaky coach out there that they've mentioned a couple times that has been working on his potential uh, coaching gig, and that might be Peyton Manning returning. And I don't know if how how much I believe those rumors. He hasn't said anything. He's actually quite said the opposite that he doesn't want to go into coaching right now. 
but it's it's been it's been rumored a couple times. I've seen it on a couple forums. So sneaky pick, maybe just to get requested to interview, might be Peyton. And and if it happens, God forbid, the city of Denver will lose their mind, and maybe the team we're talking to next might lose their mind. As yeah, one hundred percent as well too. And I I will say too, I I can see Peyton in a general manager type of role a little bit yeah. more than coaching because it's the weird thing with those great players. Like it's hard to make them coach because like not everybody's you Peyton. So you can't tell them to do this because they can't do what you can do. You have to like coach to with what you have. You can't coach with what you have, what you are. Yeah. That's why you don't see very many hall of fame players end up being hall of fame coaches on top of it. But if anyone could do it, it's Peyton Manning. He's got the mind and the forehead to do it. So I, I, I believe him as well. And last and certainly least as well too, a team that might implode if something like that happened. We're going to look at the Indianapolis Colts. Started off kind of shaky. Then they have cast a wide net in the last 48 hours, including the one and only fighting Jeff Saturdays, who I'm not including on this list as candidates for him, even though they are technically including him too. Kelsey, who do you think should take over this dumpster fire that still has some talent on it and a top four pick? First of all, let me also add another name in here that I hate that they added in uh, as a as a uh, interview request. Um, again, sticking with the guys that they just are tied to in their organization, Shane Steichen the offensive coordinator for the Eagles. I'm not a big fan of him coming back to there because he was a, what, what was he? The running backs coach when he was there at, in Indy. Like like it wasn't of, even like, he was yeah. an assistant under the offensive coordinator who, by the way, Nick Sariani, after they beat the Colts, he's yelling, that's for Frank. So I highly doubt Steve's going to come with them as well, too, considering they were yeah. Frank's boys too. They're not exactly come like, Oh yeah. Hey Jim, we're friendly now. And on the flip side of that, a uh, couple that I'm actually really proud they even throw out. I don't think they have an opportunity, but I just want to say congratulations, Colts, for actually interviewing these guys. A hero, Evero, the Broncos defensive coordinator. It's okay. great that he's he's being interviewed. And Bubba Ventrone, the Colts special teams coordinator. Great that he's being interviewed. If you ever saw him on Hard Knocks, <laughs> like yeah, if you ever saw him on Hard Knocks, fantastic, fantastic minded coach, especially for special teams coordinators. Like it's so hard to get to be a great special teams coordinator, and he's done a great job. Uh, but now I'm going to go to my pick here. Um, obviously I could go Aaron Glenn here from the, the Lions. I'm not going there though. I'm going with a Rams defensive coordinator and that's Raheem Morris. I think Raheem Morris makes the trip to Indy. Um, I think he's going to be their new head coach and I think it's going to work out for him. And especially talk about that defense who has all the pieces, all the parts just injured and not able to play football right now. I don't know what's going on in their minds, but they need something defensive coordinator wise to, to kind of figure themselves out from a head coaching standpoint. Um, and I like having a good defensive coordinator with a, building offense that seems to be a good recipe for success for a lot of teams i look at the jets as one of those teams um obviously you need to figure out your quarterback situation there for the jets but the colts also need to figure that out um so give me raheem morris here as the the new head coach for the for the indianapolis colts i like that when raheem morris gives you a little bit of stability as well too former head coaching experience as well and he's he's like he's a 4-3 coordinator they have 4-3 pieces as well too he just needs to get that offense figured out as well too I'm going to go on a little, this one's, this team's a mess and they have a lot of options here that I think could be very good. That defense was, I think, top 10 for most of the year until it just kind of bit down the stretch. Like, why are we doing this? We can't even move past the 50 yard line. That offense is terrible. They're, they're stagnant. They were boring. They were conservative. So I think what would fit them now is a young, aggressive, aggressive minded head coach. You're the picking fourth in the draft. You need a quarterback, whether you trade for Justin Fields because the Bears do something stupid or you trade up to get one or you hope one of those three drops to you. Like there's a lot of options there. So I'm going to go with arguably the most aggressive coordinator I look at on here. I like Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator from the Lions. You need that defense, as you mentioned, is very, very good. There are pieces there. Gus Bradley did a pretty decent job there that first year. They were that was without Shaquille Leonard for all but three, two quarters, something like that, too. So I think defensively, you're going to be okay next year offensively you need to figure out how to block people again because oh my goodness we could have played offensive line last year 
you got to get find a way to get Jonathan Taylor going. You have tall receivers. You need a quarterback. And we saw what Ben Johnson did with Jared Goff. Like he, Jared Goff was a Pro Bowl quarterback this year. Whether he got got voted in or not, he played like a Pro Bowl quarterback. They were a playoff team that just didn't unfortunately get in the playoffs. Like I'd rather be the Lions than some of those teams that did get into the playoffs. But we saw what they we saw against the Jets. Fourth down, a backside tight end wheel on fourth and one off a of play action. We saw that hook and ladder against the Packers to set up a third and a fourth and one on third and 12. I think you need something like that with a young quarterback, young pieces. And you can't, we saw what he did with Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift. Now I'm going to give you Jonathan Taylor. You saw Amon Ross St. Brown. I'm going to give you Alec Pierce and Michael Pittman. Like, I think there's a, it's a young, aggressive offensive minded coach for a young quarterback who comes in with good defensive pieces. And I think you give him a bit of a lengthy leash as well, too. And, with a top four pick, there's a lot of good stuff that you can do there. So I, I don't think Lions yeah. fans want to see him go. I think I think a lot of other teams are interested too. But I think if I'm if I'm the Colts, that's one I have my eye on as well. Speaking of Lions fans, no, <laughs> don't take Ben Johnson. There you go, right on cue. There's our Lions fan uh, checking in. But no, I do think I do think Ben Johnson is a fantastic coordinator, um, and I do think he he does have his time as a coach. I don't know if it's yet. I think Aaron Glenn becomes a head coach before him off of that staff. And and again, you talk about coach uh, coaching staffs that are about to be picked apart and you hate to see it because it's like, well, okay. So you know, maybe take Aaron Glenn instead. Maybe not. Maybe you don't hate to see that as well. Uh, but I do think like you hate to see young teams, like young, good teams, watch their coaching staff just get picked apart, but that's, what's going to happen to the lions right now. The lions are such a good team, such a strong team for what they have. Like really you look at their talent. Like I talk about playing on paper. Shouldn't be there. Shouldn't be a playoff caliber team, but yet here they are nine and eight in the end of the season. And you know, you're about to get picked apart. Like, uh, you, you, you know, it's, it's feasting time. The, the vultures are coming and, and it's, it is time to, to get picked apart. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately the Lions are probably going to see both coordinators go, but definitely, uh, I believe Ben Johnson, Ben Johnson has his opportunity. I think Aaron Glenn goes first though, but I don't hate, I hate, I don't hate the Ben Johnson pick to, to Indy at all. It is, it is ironic too, because that happened to the Colts a couple of years ago with Seriani and Ibraflus. What's weird is how the Cowboys have managed to hold on to Dan Quinn and Kellen Moore just because both have wanted to stay there as well. So I do think, as we mentioned one of those two, I think, does go this year. I could see Dan Quinn. I could see him going as well, but I think, I think he's going to hang on for one more year because I think he looks at these opportunities like maybe. But eh, I think he'll. Oh, he's man. at the point now with the head coaching experience, he can go wherever he wants when he wants. Really, and he just keeps that resume is getting more and more ridiculous each year in Dallas with what he's done with Micah Parsons and Trayvon Diggs and that team as well too. So there's a. I think he's got some time. We. And you know what's crazy also, is we, we left a lot of good names off of here as well too. That's how oh, deep, absolutely. That's how deep this vacancy pool is right now. And I do want to throw out one team that I think might have an opening by the end of the season, maybe two. I want to say the Rams. Sean McVay mm-hmm. literally allowing his entire staff the freedom to go and interview wherever. No coach just says, "Yeah, you guys are free to go look at look at wherever jobs you want to go." Ever. No coach who plans on coming back ever says that. And that is a huge writing on the wall for me. Um, I also maybe I just want to throw a sneaky one in there just because he's getting older and he's talked about retirement far too many times for my liking in this last season. And that is Pete Carroll. I don't I don't know if I'm ready to see a day without Pete Carroll on a sideline, but he's talked about it a lot this offseason. And, and I don't care how it goes in the playoffs. I Potentially, he might just walk away. Just be like, I'm done. You know, whether he walks away into the sunset with a Super Bowl or they get bounced in the first round of the wild card by the Niners. Like, I don't think he cares. I think at the end of the day, he's already made up his mind. And and personally, with how many how much he's talked about, it, I've never heard him talk about it. And this is like the situation where he started talking about it. I'm like, oh, crap. It might be time for Pete Carroll to finally walk away. And you talk about, I mean, 
The dude's old. Like, he is the oldest coach in the NFL right now, and he doesn't look a day over 50. <laughs> so, I don't know. But, you know, I don't want to throw those two out potentially as a uh, two openings that we haven't talked about yet. Absolutely. And I'll throw in one last one, too, depending on how the playoffs play out. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Andy Reid decides, you know what, we're walking out on top here. We get another Super Bowl. Eric Bannemi, you take over, which obviously that would – he might just – they'd probably just pass it down to Bannemi at that point, in theory. In theory, but that also means one less person on the market as well, too. So there's a lot of different ways to go. And Pete Carroll does want to go now. It wouldn't be a bad idea because he has officially won the Russell Wilson argument as of right now. So he'd go out on top in that regard, if you will, as well, too. So, you know what? Two birds, one scone as well. But that's going to do for we're going to take off our Cupid wings now as well, too. That'll do it for our main event coaches matchmaker. That's going to take us into Kelsey's favorite segment, Crunch Time. Brought to you by Outlier. Use code outlier.bet backslash high low sports. Get yourself a free seven-day tryout. Two best smarter, not harder, and can confirm have used them the last couple of weeks. And we just racked in four hundred dollars in bets over this last week while while putting in less than honestly less than ten dollars of my own actual money. So can confirm outlier.bet the way to go as well too when it comes to all things betting from trends to odds and everything you need across multiple sports books. But now as we we talked about the coaching vacancies, let's not forget we got playoffs coming up here playoffs. in just a couple of days. And we're, we're talking about playoffs and we're going to talk a lot more about this on our on our weekend show, 4th and 4, with our good friends Zach Kalman and Jim Minier as well, too, where we talk all things football. So definitely tune in that. But real quick, Kelsey, I want to hear – give me a bold prediction for this NF, this weekend in the NFL playoffs. Give us one bold prediction, whether it's a win, a performance, a disappointment, anything like that. Um, this is going to probably be, considering what I just said, probably blasphemous to a lot of people. Um, we will see an upset – of well, I don't know. I guess can you, can you call it upset. I'm gonna call it an upset. The Bucks beat the Cowboys, as well as seeing the Seahawks beating the 49ers. Okay, so the Cowboys Buccaneers one. I'm gonna say okay because that one's like 50 50. But you 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 got the Seahawks, the Fighting Geno Smiths upsetting the Juggernaut Brock Purdy and squad. I think I think it's time. I, you know, I've been talking about it all season. I've been waiting for this Brock Purdy shoe to fall. Started to see it last last week in, in week 18. Started to see a little bit of shakiness there with that team and. I think it's time. I think the third time's the charm, right? <laughs> Beating a team three times in a season is so hard to do. And a division rival and a guy like Pete Carroll, if you can beat him three times in a year, hats off to you because I've yet to see it. And then Pete Carroll did something in this interview that he has not done since 2014 when it comes to the 49ers. He complimented them profusely. And you know what happened in 2014 against the 49ers when they went into that playoff matchup? They won 17-7. to Granted, the shoes were flipped. They were the favorite. The 49ers were the, the underdog. But Pete Carroll complimenting the, the, the 49ers coming into this game, playing mind games, I think he, it's, it's time. I think the Seahawks pull this one off. Well, in that game, Navarro, Navarro Bowman's knee exploded in a way I never want to see happen again. So hopefully that's okay, not yeah. going to I was going to talk about that. We're gonna, so hopefully not all things repeat themselves as well, too. I'm going to keep mine really simple. and it's hardly a, It doesn't feel like it's going to be an upset. I feel like by the time they kick off, the betting odds are going to be close. I'm going to say the Giants upset the Vikings as well. The Vikings have been – that ship that, that is carrying those Vikings has been on some rough tides recently as well, too. They've tr- struggled to get Jeff- Justin Jefferson the ball the last few weeks as well, too, especially down the field. And when they matched up the first time, it was a really, really close game that took a 60-yard field goal, and that's when the Giants turned it over two, th- two times, I believe, while the Vikings didn't turn it over at all. Playoff Kirk Cousins, well, we've seen a little bit of it, and it's not the best. And at the same time, I think we're going to see a Kenny Galladay sighting too. Seeing him in that week 17, get that one-handed touchdown. Maybe we see Kenny Galladay in the red zone as well, too. Maybe catch a fade or something like that here. And we've seen that Vikings defense. Lord have mercy, we've seen that Vikings defense let people down all year. So 
give me the Giants pulling off a big blue upset this weekend as well, too. But that'll do it for our show here today. We appreciate y'all joining in and hanging out with us to talk about all things football throughout the entire show as well. We will be back next week for a lot more, probably not so much, not as many Cupid wings, but a whole lot more to talk about. We'll see you guys again next week.